So everybody, uh, way back in March, which seems like just a century ago, when the pandemic began, we were really fighting hard to do church right here on Sunday. In fact, we didn't cancel till 6.30 Saturday night when we realized we probably should be in compliance with what Del Delaware County was telling us about restrictions. So we had no live stream planned that week, and I was able to do something that I normally can never do, and that's watch everybody else's live stream. So I tuned into several pastors that I know, and uh, most of them talked about the pandemic that was starting and how we have to move from fear to faith, and many of them went to the Psalms for comfort, as they should. And uh, the reason I enjoyed that day was no one really had a blueprint. Pastors couldn't listen to other pastors. Everybody had to go by faith, and it was, a, it was just a time of blessing. But uh, the following week, when I had to decide what I would teach on, um, in my spirit, I wanted to stay in the Gospel of John. And then I thought, well, should I do something else? And as I began to read the text in John, I felt like God told me, stay right where you are. The Word of God speaks. It's relevant to every situation. And we were hitting that place in John where John is going to spend 10 chapters talking about Jesus' final week. And as I read all those chapters, the one thing that jumped out to me is God is in control. He was in control of that final week of Jesus' life. He's in control of the pandemic that's going on. And something happened that I was quite taken back by, and that is, through these five weeks, I've heard God speak more to me than in a long, long time, and, and I was pondering why, and I think I figured it out. Uh, when life is normal, we have our routine, right? We get up, we pretty much know what to do as a pastor. I have to lean on the Lord and hear from him. But at the end of the day, I figured this thing out, and I kind of know my schedule. But in this new normal, uh, things are changing every day. There's new information, and, and so much is changing so fast that you really have to lean on God almost every single day. This past week, I was so blessed. Uh, we watched the Q Conference, which I attend from time to time in Nashville, virtual. And they had about 40 speakers. And I was just listening to all these speakers. I was taking notes. And I was surprised how much of what they were saying God had already told me and what I had talked about with colleagues, as I call them, around the country. And so what I think is, I think the Holy Spirit even though we're separated in homes, has downloaded to the church the way we should go. We are being led by the Spirit of God. So this week, I've been led to move away from the Gospel of John for a week. We'll be back next week, and I want to talk about re-entry. Lord willing, in a few weeks, uh, if they open the state of Pennsylvania, we're going to be back to our job, some of us, maybe back here at church, Lord willing, and we're going to enter a world that has changed. And so today, I want to be more of a pastor, more of a father figure, and the title of my message is, Who Will You Be in the New Normal? Like I said, in six weeks, the world has turned upside down, politically, economically. Uh, we are going back to a changed environment. And, and I'm not concerned with how will we go back, I'm more concerned with who will we be. And here's the one thing I know, this is the one thing you know, from my head to my toes, I believe in. We can't go back to culture and to church the way unbelievers or people that don't know Jesus would. As people of faith, we must be different as we come back to a new normal. And the reason for this is simple. Uh, the, the ordinary 
things that we already know, the scriptures that make us wise to salvation. We have the Bible, the Holy Spirit, we have the church. But we also have a history. Some of you may have not thought about this. You know, you're never going to read your Bible the same way again. Uh, I can't imagine reading the book of Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar comes from Babylon and sieges the city. I can't, I can't imagine ever reading that different again. It's not a Bible story. It really happened. And they didn't have Costco to run to, by the way, when Nebuchadnezzar came. Um, they burned the temple. They took their treasures. Some of them were taken to Babylon. So we have a history of people groups going into exile, martyrs being burned at the stake, and the church has prevailed and even thrived. So when we come back to this new normal, we're going to come back different. We're going to come back in a spirit of grace and spirit of love. Uh, we're going to put up on the screen in just a few minutes one of the best things I've seen via email during the pandemic. Uh, it served me well. I think it will serve you well. I wrote this in an e-news. It gave you a drop-down uh, for those who subscribe to that. But we'll put it on the screen now. And it's really kind of moving from the fear zone to what is called a growth zone. Uh, in the fear zone, and this is natural for all of us, uh, when a pandemic begins, we go through these situations. It says, I grab food, toilet paper, and medications I don't even need. Can I tell you a quick story? Um, I'm not a hoarder. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm a 1 or a 2. Uh, we're like a just-in-time family. We just get our groceries as we need them. So we never hoarded up. But I had a flat tire a week into the pandemic. And where do you think I bought my tires? Costco. So I drove over to Costco. I was dreading going there. I go to all the offbeat stores now. And I go to Costco and I go in the tire department. I'm the only one having my car serviced. And the gentleman says it's going to take about an hour to change your tire. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go look at TVs and gadgets. And so I walk in Costco and I look at TVs and gadgets and I talk to a tech guy who works for Costco and he's telling me about TVs and I'm asking him what's life with all these people coming in. And we end our conversation, and he says, by the way, we just got a new shipment of toilet paper, and it's way back in the left-hand corner. Now, again, I didn't know the status of our toilet paper, but I had all this information that people were hoarding toilet paper, and I had no understanding why. But guess what I did? Went all the way back in the left and got my 30 rolls of toilet paper. Came home. Walked in the door, my family was in the living room, and I held it up like I had bagged a deer and showed everybody the toilet paper, and everybody cheered, and I was a hero. And that toilet paper is still in the pantry, still basically unused. We've had enough. And, but this is what happens early on. And if you read through the chart, uh, we've all walked through this, right? I spread emotions related to fear and anger in the fear zone. I complain frequently. I forward all messages I receive. I, I'm guilty of that. And I get mad easily. But then we go to the learning zone, where we start to give up what we can't control. We stop compulsively consuming. We realize that the supply chain is enough. I begin to identify my emotions. I become aware of the situation and how to act. And now I evaluate information before spreading something false. Here's what I love, the growth zone. And I think many of us are here. I think of others and see how to help them. I make my talents available to those who need them. I live in the present and focus on the future. I'm empathetic with myself and others. A lot of that ugliness is gone. 
I thank and appreciate others. Many of you are writing cards and emails. I keep a happy and emotional state and spread hope. And I look for a way to adapt to new changes. So hopefully we're all moving from fear to growth. In the next few minutes, I want to give you the five critical areas of re-entry. And I want to begin with number one, a word we never knew until this pandemic started, social distancing. Now, I joked when this word came out that Calvary Chapel was already really good at social distancing. Our Tuesday morning prayer, we have about 40 people in the table that seats 100, and people probably sit at 40 different tables. So we nailed this early. We're really good at this. And when I teach on Wednesday night, no one sits in the front aisle. I have to actually put candy on the chairs. Uh, I'm being facetious. I'm joking. Uh, in the new normal, there's going to be protocols. There's going to be protocols when we go out to shop, on your job, and back here at church. Uh, we're brainstorming right now what church will look like. We might have cafe church. We might have church outside. We might have smaller gatherings. Uh, even in the sanctuary here with smaller amount of people, we'll still do live stream. Cameras might be over chairs. Again, there is a new normal coming. But when we talk about social distancing, I want to get to the heart of the issue. We were created by God as unique in the image of God. We are unique as human beings. We're different from all creation in this. We crave, desire, and need physical interaction. We need each other. The Bible's full of all of us and gatherings. Again, this is part of who we are. Uh, in the garden, when Adam was there with everything God had given him, paradise, and Adam had God for fellowship, the Lord looked down and said, it's not good that Adam should be alone. So God takes a rib out of his side and he fashions Eve. And if you read that chapter in Genesis 2, it's all about togetherness and oneness, not a Zoom call, right? Now, Zoom's been wonderful. And I know a lot of you are working on Zoom. My wife, every Sunday night, gets together with her family on Zoom. It's wonderful. It doesn't replace gathering. It doesn't replace the need for us to know one another. During the pandemic, you've heard the grim statistics of things that are going on. People are alone. Alcoholism, or the use of alcohol is up 55%. Pornography, 75%. At the Q conference this year, Sissy Goss, Sissy Goff talked about that need for physical touch. It's amazing. In the Gospel of John, we've been talking about the senses, right? When the woman broke the alabaster box of spikenard, there was an aroma of devotion that was released that John never forgot. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it was physical touch. John, when he introduces his Gospel, he said that, Jesus, who we've touched and felt concerning the word of life. Again, this is a part of who we are. We need one another. Um, the five physical senses are so important that when Gary Chapman wrote his love languages, he said some people crave quality time. That's how they give and receive love. Some it's acts of service. Some of it's gift giving. Words of affirmation. And listen to this. Physical touch. It's a love language. It's important. God gave it to us. Sissy Goth, who's a counselor and uh, licensed care provider, said there's been some positives of the quarantine and shared it early. Families are playing games, we're cooking more, we're eating together. 
I'm taking four-mile walks with family members that shouldn't be living with me right now. They should be in grad school and where they live, so that's been wonderful. But, but again, the downside, which I just share with you, has been difficult. Sissy Goff identified that physical touch does several things to us. Number one, it builds resilience. Two, it boosts the immune system. That's important right now. Um, it builds confidence. It reduces aggressiveness and stabilizes stress. Wow. I have this belief that who you were before the quarantine is who you are in the quarantine. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you were a prayer warrior before the quarantine, you probably are a prayer warrior in the quarantine. If you were a Netflix binge watcher before the quarantine, you're probably still a Netflix binge watcher. Here's the beautiful thing. We've had enough time alone to let the Holy Spirit get inside of us. And we've been able to deal with some things, and I think some of us are going to change habits. I think we have a vision now for who we can be in Christ so when this pandemic's over, we can re-enter society in a different way. I think we can change. Uh, we're going to have to get creative as a church. Families are going to have to get creative. We're going to have to figure out how to gather because we need this. It's so important. Uh, this past week, talk about the growth model. My son and I went down to my 83-year-old aunt's house. Uh, we brought her into the 21st century. She has no internet, no cable. Uh, she's alone. And so we got her on YouTube TV. We gave her an iPad so she can FaceTime. It's a lot of what's going to have to happen in the new normal. We're going to have to bear along with one another. We're going to have to find ways to give people connection. We're going to have to be wise in how we do it. Here's, here's what I know to the core of my being. When God created Adam and Eve, he said, therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God's plan for marriage was oneness. The devil's plan is isolation. God's plan for friendship is oneness. The devil, it's isolation. God's plan for a church community is oneness. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one. The devil's plan, isolation. We're going to have to figure out how to live life together. Yes, there's going to be social distancing. Yes, we're going to use Zoom. But we're going to have to figure out in the new normal how we're going to relate to one another and be around one another. Scripture I want to read is the one we all know. It's a creedal text of so many churches. Um, really the mission statement for the church. It's the early church in Acts chapter 2 where it says in verse 41, those who were gladly uh, baptized gladly received the word of God. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the church. Watch what they did. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon many souls, and many wonders were done through the apostles. All who believed were together. They had all things in common, sold their possessions, and gave to anyone who had need. They continued daily, every single day, either in the temple courts, that was their large gathering, or house to house, that was their small gathering, and you need both, and we'll need it in the new normal. And God was giving favor to the church and adding to the church daily those who are being saved. Whatever we do in the new normal, we must be a people who crave and long for community. 
The second decision we're going to have to make is I pray that we'll be a people in the new normal of grace and not judgment. Now think about this. The culture at large has changed. People are inundated with news and misinformation. I'll give you a story. So I live on a main road, and I was taking a walk with my daughter one day, and they're building a pipeline near my house, and so flaggers are there. So my, wife, uh, my daughter and I, we begin our walk, and we get to the intersection, and there's a flagger about 100 yards away, and at the top of the, his lungs, he screams, you're too close. Now, right then, the old man rose up in me, the old nature for about 10 seconds. You know what that feels like? And in the old days, I'd start walking toward him and say, now, help me with this. Are you stupid or are you just dumb? Okay? But I never did any of that, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm 57 years old. My daughter's 22. Does he think we just drove in a car, all just happened to pop in the Glen Mills and go for a walk? He has to know we've been quarantined together. See, I use this example because this is what we're going to face in the new normal. There's already uh, been clips on the news about grocery stores where people are yelling at each other. And, and if somebody coughs, oh my gosh, it's like, you know, you're going to go to the firing squad. So things are going to be different. And um, the one thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to be a people of grace. We really are. We're going to have to be a people of love. We're probably going to have to listen more. Uh, if there's a spectrum from 1 to 10 of fear of faith, it's going to be a lot of people down at 1 and 2 and a lot of people at 9 and 10. People at 1 and 2 are afraid to come out of the house, afraid to come back to church. People at 9 and 10 are guns blazing. Here I come. We're going to have to bear with one another. It's going to be difficult. The first few weeks will be challenging. But like we saw on that growth chart, I think we can do this. Again, we're going to have a lot of protocols here at church. We're going to do our best to make sure we keep people safe. But we're going to have to be a people of grace. We can't walk around with six-foot measuring devices on our being. We can't look over and say, you're not six foot away. You don't have the right mask. You don't have a mask. We're still the church. And we have to bear with one another. Uh, in the Bible, Paul dealt with this in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a mess. And one of the things they were arguing over and really condescending on one another over was this gray area that we don't understand, we have our own gray areas, called meat that was offered to idols. This is how it worked. Second Corinthians chapter 8, there was a situation where, you know, in the pagan temples they would offer this meat to idols, but after it was done they would wrap the meat up and they would take it to these booths called shambles and they would sell the meat at a discount price than it was in the market. So Christians who were free in Christ were buying that meat and getting a deal, and it was wonderful. And other Christians said, no, 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 that was offered to idols. Can't eat that meat. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul addresses this. And we call it the weaker brother argument. Where Paul says in verse 8, Food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we better, or if we don't eat are we worse. But beware lest... Somehow this liberty of yours has become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? 
And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? And the answer is no. But when you thus sin against the brethren, and with their weak conscience, you actually sin against Christ. Therefore, Paul said, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And so we kind of use this for things like alcohol. Uh, maybe you could have a glass of wine with dinner, but, but you know, eat, drinking it in front of people who maybe God has delivered, they were alcoholics, is a stumbling block. It's a weaker brother. It's not that they're weak, it's just they have a different view. We're going to have to live by this, right? We can't come to church and load it up with information. We have to be people of grace and people of love. And we have to bear with one another. Some will be strong, some will be weak. We'll get through it together and we'll all grow. And I think it's a part of the growth that God would have for each and every one of us. We're loaded up with information. We have enough information. What we need now is the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced of that. And I think he'll guide us. And again, listen more, love more. I want to be a person of grace. It's going to take a lot of restraining of the Holy Spirit, believe me. But I think it can be done. The third thing is, I believe in the new normal, we're going to have to be a people who are mission-focused again. Uh, if anything will break my spirit when we get back to church, it'll be this idea that all we ever talk about, again, is COVID-19. Now, I know we'll do it for the first two weeks. That's obvious. But if we come back to church and all we talk about is the virus and the election and the medical community, we will get off mission as fast as anything. The one reality that's true is the world's still lost. People still need Jesus. People are still dying going to hell. We got to get back on that mission. We got to get back on the mission of going into all the world and preaching the gospel. Uh, I'm sure in the early days of coming back to the church, there's not going to be a lot of guests, right? People aren't, you're going to ask them to come. They're like, no, I'm not going to a public gathering. And so maybe the live stream, maybe again we get creative. Uh, I was listening to Tim Keller. And he said after 9-11, his church went from one Sunday, 9-11 was on a Tuesday, went from 2,800 in attendance to 5,200 in attendance. But he said the window was small, maybe a few months. It's going to be the same in this pandemic. There's going to be a short time where people are questioning what's going on. People are dying. There's a pandemic. The world's turned upside down. The economy, you know, in six weeks, everything changed. The foundations were removed. So we have a prime opportunity to minister, and we're going to minister to people that are hurting, who lost jobs. Again, we can't be people armed with our information. And just to make this a little bit light, I want to show you a creative video. It's very short, but watch it with me just for about 30 seconds. Yeah, I really don't understand why everybody isn't following the same rules right now. They're very clear. So let's take a minute and let's go over them again. First, you must not leave the house for any reason, unless of course you have a reason and then you may leave the house. All stores are closed except those that are open and all stores must close unless of course they need to stay open. This virus is deadly. 
but don't be afraid of it. It can only kill people who are vulnerable and also those who are not vulnerable. We should stay locked down until the virus stops infecting people. And it will only stop infecting people if enough of us get infected that we build immunity. So it is very important that we get infected and also do not get infected. You should not go to the doctor's office or the hospital unless you have to go there. Unless, of course, you are too sick to go there. This virus has no effect on children except for those children in which it affects. The virus remains active on different surfaces surfaces for two hours or four hours or six hours, but in most cases it's days and not hours and it needs a damp environment or a cold environment that is warm and dry in the air, unless the air is plastic. Schools are closed, so you need to homeschool your children unless you can send them to school because you are not home. If you are at home, you can school your children using various portals and online classrooms unless you have poor internet, more than one child, only one computer, or you are working from home. <laughs> uh, the creativity of people during this pandemic has been amazing, but that, that really sets things up, right? Uh, we're sitting on all this information, and you know, the one thing, I think there's a value of this being our 10th anniversary. We've had this value for a long time, and, and, and everybody in our church holds this. Um, we believe Sundays and Wednesdays and every time we gather that we put agendas aside, right? We're all passionate about something. Some of us are passionate about health and weight loss and certain missions. And, 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 and I know what it's like, because you want to bring that in the church and you see all these people and you think, I want everybody to know. But we've been pretty good over the years at saying, let's keep our agendas at the door. Let's be the church. Let's stay on mission. And I think if we can do that in this new normal, it'll serve us well. Again, in this point, I want to stress Satan's not quarantined, right? He's still stealing, killing, and destroying. Uh, one of the books I've started in the pandemic is a book called Dope Sick. It's an expose of the opioid epidemic that has killed 300,000 people in the last 15 years and is going to kill 300,000 more people in the next five years. Uh, the subtitle is Dealers, Doctors, and the Drug Companies that Addicted America. Uh, you want to talk about a virus? There's a man named Ronnie Jones, who they said started in a place called um, Woodstock, Virginia, a tsunami of misery. He was a drug dealer, and he came to this area, and he began dealing heroin, and it grew to about 300 people, and then he was locked up. What do you think happened when he was locked up? These people all had to go to Washington, Philadelphia, uh, big cities like Charlotte to get their drugs, and this misery spread, and people are addicted. Uh, the opioid epidemic, if you want to think about it. So uh, most people don't know someone who's died of COVID-19. They might have heard of someone, but think about it. Just in your family world, you probably don't know anyone who's died of COVID-19 unless you're in the medical profession. But we all know people who have died of overdose. Many of them in this church, I've done their funerals. So Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. He's not stopped working. We got to get back on mission when we're the church, and we got to see lives restored and people saved. Uh, my fourth critical point is that, and Taylor shared this, and I've been saying it all through, is that when we get to this new normal, this brand new situation, I think we need to be a people who embrace doing more with less resources. We'll say that again. We need to be a people, we need to be a church that embraces doing more. It's going to be more ministry. We may have less resources to deal with. And that might be a good thing. We might have to lean on the Holy Spirit a little more. 
I've challenged everyone in church and every ministry to analyze their ministry, and we're doing it at a high level, and talk about what the new normal might look like. So as a church at large, when it comes to resources, there's kind of a lane that says, you know, we get back to church, things are down, maybe by Christmas we pick up some steam, and maybe for the year, you know, we're down maybe a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars. Uh, then there's a middle lane that says things will be much worse, people won't enroll in our school, and we'll have to deal with that situation. And then there are people in the church world and think tank communities that are telling us to brace for the worst. A 50% drop in resources and giving for an entire year, not just this year, but into next spring. So we don't think those things are going to happen. We are planning for them. But um, the thing we have to understand is, and a lot of people can't accept this, in any pandemic, in any natural disaster, there's winners and losers. And there are winners out there. There will be actually people that uh, make out quite well in a pandemic. Some people are still getting paid, plus got a stimulus check. Uh, other people are playing the stock market and making money. People are making money in this time. And then there's going to be losers. People that work hourly, people that lost their job, businessmen that are just bleeding money through payroll. So um, as a church, as a people, again, we're going to have to do more with less. The Q Conference, Gabe Lyons, who's the founder, opened it, and he opened it brilliantly. I was so proud of Gabe. He went to the book of Revelation, my favorite book in the Bible. And he went to chapter 18 where he talked about that scene where Babylon falls, this great mystery Babylon. It falls in an hour and the merchants are weeping over this city. Isn't it incredible that a virus could stop New York City in its tracks, bring down an economy? Babylon is a sign of a seven-day-a-week seven economic engine. It's a sign of greed and lying and deceit and idolatry and seduction. Six weeks hauled it. You know what I marvel at? How God lets it go on all the other times. God lets it go on. He lets all that happen in his mercy and grace. One day, he's going to put an end to all of it, all the injustice, all the winning and losing. John Lennon was wrong. The world will never be as one by not imagining heaven or God or hell. The world will be one when Jesus Christ returns. The book of Philippians has a verse that many of you may have little plaques in your home, where Paul said, and he was speaking about the generosity of the Philippians they gave out of their poverty. He said, you cared for me even out of your poverty, even out of your lack. And now that I speak regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to abound. I know how to base, I know how to be full, I know how to be hungry, I know how to be comfortable, and I know how to suffer need. Paul said he learned contentment. It doesn't just drop down from heaven. He learned to be content with what he had. Have you ever seen the book of Eli? It's about a blind man carrying the only Bible on the planet. And... Uh, most older people had died off. He's one of the few older men around, and the younger people are saying, what was the world like before this nuclear exchange? And there was a phrase I never forgot. He said, people had more than they needed. And that's true. We have more than we need. We can all live on less. 
We've been teaching Financial Peace University here for 12 years. And every time we teach it, you know, our group of 80 people are at least a million dollars in debt. Sometimes two car payments, big homes. And uh, sometimes financial peace goes in one ear and out the other when times are good. I think if we held financial peace now, we'd fill the sanctuary. We're going to have to get back to an understanding of contentment as a people, as a church. God has blessed us so much. We're going to have to think about the church outside of America who's reeling. Uh, they don't have the resources we have. They're following our model of sheltering in place, even though they don't have the cases we have. And it's going to lead to starvation. And one pastor told me take years to get back to a normal for them that is struggle. So economically, it's going to be a challenge through God's mercy and grace and abundance. I think we can meet that challenge. And my last point really has no content. Number five in the new normal, we're going to have to be a courageous people. We're going to have to be a people of courage in an environment of fear. Sissy Goff challenged us right now, right today in the middle of it, to do something every day brave. Do something brave every day. Begin to pray. Begin to think. Get creative. We're trying to do it here at church. Your family can do it. Start thinking about other people and what can happen. I don't know if I should say this. I tossed it around in my mind. I'm going to say it because that's just who I am. Um, I've been out and about almost every day. And uh, there are several families of us who have made a pact <laughs> where we said to each other, you know, we were in the house and did our part, but we're having game nights, dinners. Uh, several folks came and worked on my lawn yesterday. We're social distancing. We're doing all the right things. You know why we're doing that? Because the people we were before the quarantine were people that believed in community and each other. And we did our part for a month, and we, we thought we did our part. And now this is how we're going to live. And I got to tell you, um, when I walked in someone's house, I wasn't going to touch anybody or anything. I got to tell you, everybody hugged everybody. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that, and I'm not saying we're going to do it when we come back to church. But it's the way God made us. COVID-19 is real. People are dying. People are sick. We're coming back to a new normal, but we got to come back as the people of God.